from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. We've got uh, Cosmic Guy, the guy from Derry with Mercy Ships, the executive director of Mercy Ship UK. Lee Milligan, welcome. Lee, proud Lovely to, to have you here. He's uh, an Irishman, one from home, so uh, doubly welcome to you. Oh, hello, 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 as we might say at home. No, we won't. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, how are you doing? Yeah, really good, really good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really, really appreciate well, it. How did you get involved in Mercy Ships before we get on to Mercy Ships? Yeah, I mean, about, uh, about four years ago, I've spent a lot of time working with different charities. And about four years ago, I just saw a video online uh, of, a, of a patient, a little boy called Zakil, um, who's about the same age as my little boy um, is now. And uh, Zakil had this uh, this tumor growing out of his neck, uh, and um, the story was about how essentially this tumor was ultimately going to cut off his ability to breathe one day, and, and he would die. Um, and how Mercy Ships were in the country and we were able to perform a surgery that couldn't be performed in the country for free to save his life. Um, and there was a picture of them, this little this little boy transformed, tumor gone, smiling, running about, and I thought. You know, if that happened in this country, this wouldn't be a problem. And yet, in parts of West Africa, that can kill somebody, and that's that's a travesty. And to see this huge ship with all these volunteer crew coming in uh, was just inspirational. So I got in contact. They were looking for someone to lead the organization in its next sort of phase. And, um, yeah, I've been here four years now. Well, wow. I think one of the startling facts that you have on, on the Mercy Ships website is uh, nearly 50% of people in Africa have no access to a hospital or a doctor, which, you know, living in a Western world is just not a reality for most, for majority of people. Um, yeah, I mean, ac across all of, all of West Africa, you've got huge problems in terms of um, enough specialists to carry out the work. Uh, you've got challenges of the transport, so you might be able to afford to go to hospital, but the nearest hospital is hundreds of kilometers away. Um, it might be that you can't afford hospital at all um, because it's not a free medical system. In uh, the Republic of Benin, for example, the average salary um, for over 80% of the population is just two US dollars a day. A night stay in hospital with no treatment and no food is $10. A CAT scan is $100, an X-ray is $150. And so the smallest condition doesn't get treated. And sometimes that's why if you've seen some of the footage on our website, you'll see these huge tumors and goiters on people's face and neck. That could happen just as easily here. If you and I get a small uh, lump or a small mark, we'll go to a doctor, it'll be tested and removed and everything's fine. Um, whereas in West Africa, if you can't get that simple surgery early, that can grow and grow and grow and become a life-threatening illness. Uh, tell us about just before we get on to the great work that they do there. It's, uh, it's astounding what what Mercy Ship does. Um, the the founding of it. How did it start off? Because you, you you kind of touched on this. Before forty we years. I, I believe this year is your yeah. forty year anniversary. Yes, we've been around for 40 years now. It actually started, um, well, it was 40 years ago uh, with uh, one guy called Don Stevens and his wife, Dayon. Um, they, uh, they were out working um, just in poor communities uh, in India, actually, and Don was offered the opportunity at the time to meet Mother Teresa. Um, and so as a 32-year-old boy, if you like, he was, he was very intrigued. He spent all night writing these questions that he was going to ask Mother Teresa. And he walked in to meet her with these 16 questions on cue cards ready to, to make the most of this opportunity. Uh, and before he spoke, Mother Teresa said, I know that you've got a lot of questions for me, but I'm not going to answer any of them. You're going to answer three questions for me. Uh, and Don shook in his boots a little bit. And her opening question was, um, why have you been put on this earth? And Don said, I, I don't know, I'm trying to make a difference. I'm trying to help people. Uh, hopefully I can do that. And she said, there seems to be pain in your life. What is that pain? And Don and Dale had just given birth to their second son uh, who'd, been, who'd been born profoundly disabled. And they were told at that time, he was only a year old, that he probably wouldn't make it to five years old. And if he did make it beyond five, he would never speak. Um, he would. Uh, he had severe autism. He had physical disabilities. He his life would be not a, a real life, as how it was referred to them back then. And so he explained this to her and talked about how they were wrestling with that and trying to work that out and just come to terms with that a little bit. And she said, "I think you've got a dream. What is it?" 
And he said, well, I've had this ideal of a hospital ship that can sail into nations where no one else can get access and how we can transform lives, but I think it's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> and Mother Teresa said to him, if you follow that dream, I believe that that ship will become the voice to the nations that your son may never have. And so Don went away uh, with his wife with this sort of message from Mother Teresa. Jesus. Uh, they, they had some friends in Switzerland who also had just given birth to a, a child who was profoundly disabled. And they were talking about the challenges of that. And they sh he shared this story with Mother Teresa. And the Swiss family said to him, well, look, we actually are the directors of a, of a bank. We'd love to give you a loan to try and buy a ship if you can find one. So they gave him a million dollar loan to buy what was the Victoria, which we converted into the Anastasis and became the first hospital ship of Mercy Ships 40 years ago. Since then, we've had uh, four other ships in our fleet. The Africa Mercy is our current ship, which is bigger than all the other ships we've had put together. Um, and in addition to all of that, and the 100,000 surgeries that have been delivered in those 40 years, Don and Dayon's little boy, Jean-Paul, just celebrated his 42nd birthday this year oh, and, uh, and I asked Don recently how does it feel all that time on from from those beginnings how does it feel with Jean-Paul standing with you and he said look Jean-Paul still can't speak he can only have, he has three signs that he can do to help communicate he can't look me in the eye it's a hard life for him but I talked to him every day and I said to him uh, because of you I founded Mercy Ships because of you a hundred thousand lives and more have been transformed this is your legacy and so 40 years on, that's what we were celebrating and those small beginnings and foundations of a dream uh, and a child and how, how we've come to be what we are you, today. You could make a Disney movie out of that. <laughs> I, on the other hand, was thinking, what a beautiful story. Uh, what a beautiful <laughs> beginning. That's what I meant. It's like one of those, yeah. you know, Lassie comes in at the end. It's, it's one of those, uh, you know, I think very emotional stories. I think that's incredible. Mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, you don't hear that about Mother Teresa. She obviously had a little bit of... Uh, um, clairvoyance, no, but uh, that she could see into the person and, and feel that he had that pain and, and give him that inspirational um, yeah. touch forward. Beauty, Don, Don talks about that meeting uh, in the context of um, the difference it made. Yeah, yeah the difference it made. And in, in the Catholic tradition, uh, as you know, if you grew up in Ireland, the Catholic tradition talks about this idea that sometimes uh, pain can be a form of preparation. Uh, for what the future can hold. And I think that's that's maybe what Mother Teresa, from her perspective, tapped into in Dawn was, I can see some pain, but how do you utilize what's happening in your life right now to, to do something more with it? And that's that's ultimately what we did do. And um, yeah, that's... Well, Transform it to something really positive. Exactly, exactly. Great. So uh, have you just got the, the one boat in the fleet or do you still have the, the other ones? No, so we've, um, yeah, as we got the African Mercy into service, we um, disbanded the other three ships um, and reduced down to that one because that one is the biggest one we've, we've ever huge. run. Yeah, 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 yeah. 17,500 tons. Um, it's, it's got um, a crew of 450 in total um, on that board. Including medical or is that just the Yeah, including all the medical team and everything. So the 450 people living and working on board. Um, that includes, uh, in addition to that, there's about 40 children who live on board who are the kids of the crew um, that come and serve, people bring their families uh, and, and come and serve with us. Um, and so, yeah, it's about half the roles on board are medical, uh, medical roles and, uh, in the uh, hospital. Are the, the doctors and, and nurses, are they rotational? Do they come out on, um, and, and they volunteer, I believe, their time and their efforts? Do they come out in rotation, spend weeks or months with you, then go back to their... The job yeah, how does, so how does this work? The average the average length of service on board is about three months. Um, so people will come on and serve for three months. But um, some of the more senior individuals on board, so the guys that are like the hospital directors or things like that, or the, the captain of the crew and stuff like that, will serve for a minimum of a year at a time. Um, we have some individuals, the deputy chief medical officer served for five years. Um, we have one surgeon who's been on board for over 30 years now. Um, he wow. met his wife on board. Um, they've had two kids. Uh, those kids have uh, gone to university and have already come back to serve on the ship in that 30-year period. Um, they take the old summer holiday break, um, but they've served pretty much continuously for 30 years now. And then in, in the running of it, um, I, it, it's, it's a floating hospital. So are they, presumably they have x-ray machines, they have 
surgical wings, they have operating rooms. Yeah. How functional is it? Um, yeah, so um, so we've, we've essentially the only piece of kit that we don't have from surgery is a pathology lab. Um, but everything else we have, we have a CT scanner, we have x-ray department, we have a pharmacy, we have um, five operating theatres, we have a ward for recovery, we have uh, intensive care units for difficult patients. Um, and the pathology piece, we actually have a, a great piece of kit that was donated to us by Nikon, which essentially um, takes all the pathology um, tests and satellite links them back to a hospital in the UK. Uh, and a doctor can give us their recommendation and satellite back straight through so we can do live pathology um, from the ship. Um, to put it in context, when we were in uh, the Republic of Benin a few years ago, the CAT scanner on our ship was the only working CAT scanner in the entire country of Benin. They had other CAT scanners, but none of them worked and hadn't worked for years. And so that kind of gives you this juxtaposition that because we've got this mobile platform, we can bring a fully functioning, uh, developed hospital into those challenging and developing nations. And how does it work from the perspective of, say, uh, a patient? Um, so, for example, say, say I've got something wrong, I come to the boat, uh, you do a surgery, and maybe I need one month recovery period. And presumably yeah. the boat wants to be moving around. Um, do, yeah, and how do, how do they refer yeah, to you in the first place? Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, There's so the many actually, questions. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. The, the ship actually stays in port, one port for 10 full months. So okay. we will work with a country for almost two years in advance before the ship arrives um, to uh, assess patients, to screen individuals, to work out the infrastructure of the country. We only go to a country if we've got a presidential invitation signed and contracts of agreement with the Ministry of Health to allow us access to their, their systems and to their infrastructure. So um, do you have a team that goes out there ahead of all yeah, yeah. of doctors that, that yeah. go through the patient lists and... Yeah, so a team will go out in advance and they will train local medics in, we've essentially got an app um, that we train them to use and the local medics will help to screen patients and gather data for us and then we will offer patients appointments for when the ship arrives based on that that piece of work. Um, and so that team does a lot of work in advance. We also um, ask the Ministry of Health to give us four or five buildings in and around the main port. Um, and so we set up, to answer your first question about rehabilitation, we set up an outpatient centre um, on land there, we renovate that centre and set it up and it will have maybe 150 beds um, and so patients will come onto the ship for three days, one day before surgery, one day for surgery and one day after and then we'll move them out into the outpatient centre so that in any one ten months we can perform somewhere in the region of 1,500 to 2,000 surgeries um, is our current capacity. Wow, that's a huge amount of surgeries to achieve. Well, just a huge amount of organisation, I mean that's that's a matter, yeah. you know, at governmental level, at get the yeah. buildings, kitting them out, uh, getting the beds and, and just basic stuff for them, because that's stuff yeah, you've got to source presumably locally. Yeah, yeah, we do. We use we use local builders, we use local contractors to pull all the stuff together locally, so we're investing in the local economy. We'll also, while we're in country for 10 months, train around 1,900 um, clinicians, medics, biotech engineers to maintain equipment in the country that, that will then continue that work after we've gone. Um, and so um, a great example, um, we've just finished a piece of work in um, Senegal, and uh, sorry, in Guinea. And five years ago we were in Guinea, and when we do a patient selection day, about 3,000 people will turn up at the ship for patient selection. We can't say yes to them all, obviously. But we'll expect to find about three or 400 children with cleft lip and cleft palate um, illnesses so that split in their lip or their mouth and we can treat that. This year, five years on, we went back to Guinea and we found only three patients in the queue of 3,000. That's because five years ago we trained a gentleman called Dr. Karumba. Dr. Karumba trained two other gentlemen after we left. They together have set up a clinic and in the last three years alone they performed over 400 cleft palate surgeries in the capital city of Guinea. And so while we're doing nearly 2,000 surgeries, we're, we're, and that's just one individual we've trained. We're training 1,900 people every year. You're enabling country. Yeah. A knock-on effect of enabling them to continue the work after you've left. Precisely. And it also means that they're not just dependent on you coming in. It's, exactly. It's a full spectrum of well, continuing the, the work after you it's go. It's the bag of rice, isn't it? Give a person a bag of rice, you feed them for today. Teach them how yeah, to grow so. his own. 
Exactly, it's the same traditional concept. In reality, the the healthcare challenges in Africa as a continent and West Africa as a region are, are astronomical. Like we're hundred thousand churches is great, but that scratches the surface. Yeah. Um, as you said, half of people in that part of West Africa can't get any access to it. We're not reaching half of them by any imagination. But if we can incrementally increase the capability of the country, then actually the country can self-sustain and we can eradicate the problem in that manner, as opposed to. And how, sailing in, sailing out. how do you fund all this? This is going to take a massive amount of uh, of capital to keep this going. Where, where do you get your funding yes, from? So we're, we're supported by a whole range of donors all over the world, actually. Um, the vast majority of individuals are, are donating somewhere in the region of £18 a month. Um, we don't receive government funding particularly at the minute. We get a little grant from the Norwegian government occasionally for some building work, which we're really appreciative of. Um, but we are basically privately funded. Um, and and yeah, that money raised uh, pays for the running of the ship, pays for the construction, pays for the training of individuals. But all of the crew on board are all volunteers. And so if we look at how much money it costs and what those volunteers would cost, if we had to salary them all, they cost twice as much as the amount of money we actually spend. Yeah. So every pound that we see people invest in us in cash terms, we're matching with double that in terms of volunteer value come to the table. And so it takes maybe 1,200 people a year to fill those 400 odd roles on the ship. Um, and so those are the people we really rely on as well. So it's a real partnership between those donating and those serving on board. And those coming in, uh, they're from all around the world, I would presume. Yeah, so there's all, there's often over 40 nations represented on board the ship at any one time um, amongst the 400 crew. And so, yeah, huge, huge um, range of diversity on there. And what's really exciting, actually, I've just looked at the figures from last year, um, 10% of the crew last year were from uh, countries in the continent of Africa. And so they were individuals who have seen us around Africa, that have come and met us, that have been trained by us in other ways, and then have asked, can they come and volunteer their time and serve? And so one-fifth of all of our training programs we delivered last year were Africans delivering to Africans. And so we're really pleased that that, that after 40 years, is starting to really become a substantial piece of our work as well. Uh-huh. Indeed. And, and a lovely way for them to feel like they're part of something that you know has had such a big impact in their lives as well i would yeah think. yeah there's, there's one individual in particular dr audrey agbesi um I, met, I was meeting with her a few months ago and she became benin's first ever reconstructive plastic surgeon and she set up the first burns unit to be able to deal with burn contractures she had the dream at 12 years old having watched a, a news piece about a lady who'd been attacked with acid uh, to become a to become a reconstructive surgeon, she wanted to to solve that problem for her country, um, but couldn't complete her training because it wasn't available. So she became a surgeon in her own right, but couldn't finish that. Mercy Ships had the privilege of meeting her and com- completing her training to set up a burns unit, and now she sees it in her own words. She sees her civic duty is to share that knowledge with both Benin and the rest of West Africa. And so she now volunteers every year in every country we go to, to teach that same course um, back to, to other medics. Wow, fantastic. And um, it, I presume, I mean, it, with the amount of people you have on board, if we look at a local hospital or a hospital here or Ireland or England or wherever, you would have um, specialists, you know, you, you would have a cardiac surgeon, you would have a gastro surgeon, you would have, etc. you know, plastic surgeon. Yeah. Presumably, you also are need to achieve something similar on board for the diversity of what you have, or yeah. in some ways there's a concentration you actually have a lot, as you mentioned, you know, at one stage you had a lot of cleft palates, which you don't have anymore. Yeah. Um, how do you yeah, achieve so that balance? You- Yes, yeah, so we've generally, um, over the last 40 years, we've honed the types of surgery that we think we can make the biggest impact with. And so there are sort of uh, five areas of surgery that we really focus our time on. Um, so one is an eye program, so removing cataracts um, for both children and adults. One is orthopedics, so doing leg corrections in children and club feet um, type, type surgeries and work. Um, the other one is women's health. So the huge problem across West Africa is a thing called obstetric fistula, which is essentially when a woman goes into labor but doesn't have the right maternal care um, and the labor is obstructed, the baby dies in the womb and is a stillbirth. But because of the obstruction, the woman is left incontinent 
for the rest of her life. And the surgery to correct that is just 30 minutes, but there aren't, there aren't enough obstetric fistula uh, specialists in West Africa. Um, I think the World Health Organization recently released a paper that suggested there's something like 12,000 new cases a year across West Africa mm. of obstetric fistula. And as you can imagine, being left incontinent in, in West Africa, you're shunned out of your village, you're considered unclean, you're, you're left destitute. And Women there's no control your- on it either. And it- Presumably, there's not the provisions as we'd have in Precisely. Europe. Of- Ongoing additional illness, and so we we have, we specialise in that um, form of surgery. And what's really beautiful at the end of that surgery is we give all of the women a new dress, a new hat, and we take them back to their home village and reintroduce them as a new woman to their village to say she's now clean. Welcome her back in. And so we, we reborn that individual, which is just fantastic to see. Um, and they're welcome back in. Yes, yes, because without wanting to trivialize too much, there there is a misconception that some of these illnesses might might not be medical. They might be something else. There's a spiritual aspect to them, and and we're trying to dispel that and say, look, this is very simple. This is not her fault. This is not something that she has done that has caused this. Um, the other special thing we have is is those goiter and tumor removals, which the technical term is maxillofacial. Um, and then we have a plastics program, which is burn contractures and, and things like that. And then a general surgical piece, which is around things like um, hernias and, and other conditions on the, on the sort of main body bit. So we don't really do brain surgery or heart surgery or those kinds of things, but those those specialisms are what we target. And so we look for surgeons that can support those. I was going to ask um, if if you do come across something that is, let's say you wouldn't, that that's a real speciality, a special speciality. Um, do you do you have available, say, surgeons that will fly in for a couple of days to do a particular surgery? Yeah, there are there are a few. We've got um, one case in particular. We've got a surgeon in the UK who is um, a pediatric brain specialist, and so there's a condition. Um, that essentially, if you imagine at the front of your your head, the front of the head is the last bit to one of the last bits to come together when you're in the womb. And um, sometimes, in very rare cases, it can happen in this country as well. This this front bit of your brain doesn't uh, head doesn't quite come together, and a small sac uh, can appear at the front, and and that can bulge to almost be the size of a second nose. And so you can have these babies that are born essentially have this. A little element of their brain just seeping out into this now that is hugely dangerous um, and uh, and we've got this one specialist who's able to come out and support our surgeons that would normally do tumor removals to do that corrective surgery and basically move that piece back inside the skull and then reconstruct the skull so he'll fly out for us if we find one of those cases he'll fly out for a week to carry out one of the cases for us so they're very rare but when we see them we know we've got somebody we can call them and the saddest thing is that you know, of the three, four thousand people I talk about who queue up, there's a vast number of them that they have conditions we can't treat. If somebody comes out with a tumour and it's cancerous, we can't operate on that because there's no ongoing care for cancer after that. And if we cut out a cancerous tumour, it will come back more aggressive and, and even worse for that individual. So the screening and assessment team, those nurses that do that initial screening, have one of the toughest jobs on board because they have to say no to a lot of individuals. But we have a palliative care team and a chaplaincy team that will also get alongside those individuals we have to say no to to try and support them and, and point them to where they might be able to find help if we can. Because that brings in the, the other element. You know, we we talk to many crew and captains and there's the other human side to it is life on board. You know, you said mm-hmm. you, you have people there who volunteer and they come with their families. Um, but that's also a huge crew of people that are also not just sharing their time, but living their lives, the dynamics, yeah. the different cultures, the different languages, um, the, the food, the provisioning, uh, it's yeah. a whole extra side, although the focus is on the surgeries. Um, yeah, so the, the reality is of the, of the seven decks on board, the hospital takes up two decks. And so the rest of the ship is the operation to keep the whole thing running. And so only half the crew on board are medical crew. And actually the biggest challenge we have in finding volunteers is exactly in that in the marine sector. So finding individuals who can be everything from captains to first mates to officers to deckhands 
all those different rules that are required both by law and just because practically we're on a boat. Hands. You need them, yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? We need those hands. We need those individuals, engineers, carpenters, um, electricians, all those different functions. Those are the hardest ones for us to find individuals for. There's a global shortage in the marine sector, as we know. Um, but additionally, there's just a smaller pool of individuals to, to try and inspire. But What's incredible is when you talk to those marine specialists who come on board and they say, this is not like any ship I have ever served on before. This is not something I've ever seen. And they've been, some have been in the Navy, some have been merchants, some have been various different um, oil companies. But this is a ship where they can see a tangible reality of how their day-to-day job that they're specialists in can be transformative in the life of another individual. If we don't have that electrician, then the anesthesia machine doesn't run and surgery ceases. So mm. all those roles are as vital as every special surgeon and nurse on the ward. Yeah. Including the yeah. chef to feed them all as well. <laughs> well, exactly. We serve over two and a half thousand meals a day um, in wow. terms of all the patients and the day crew and the crew. And so, yeah, there's a huge job in the galley to be done. And and how far do you go? Um, uh, what are the, the countries that you, you said you been to guinea and then you went back you know but you spend yeah. 10 months in each country yeah we do so we predominantly focus in west africa um we've been uh, over our 40 years we've been all over the world but in the last 20 years we've stayed just in the continent of africa and mainly focused in west africa and um, because that is where the greatest need for this, for surgery is um so uh, yeah we're in guinea now we um will be arriving in senegal in a couple of months time and we'll stay for 10 months and then after that we head to liberia um, and continue that that journey. Once a year, we head up to Las Palmas um, to do refit work between between those services. So actually, the ship is actually at sea at sea at the minute on the way to Las Palmas. Um, I'll stay there for about a month in dock to get restocked and do some repair work, and then I'll set sail and arrive in in Dakar in Senegal in about um, mid August time. Do Do you face much uh, threat from from a security perspective? A lot of the countries you go to, I would imagine, um, they're looking at a big boat and uh, potentially stuff on it that they might want to take. Um, Also, some of the areas are still uh, um, politically in turmoil. um, Yeah, hugely. There's a number of different challenges there. It's why we work with the government so closely um, to come in in the first place. We want to be uh, embedded not just in the Ministry of Health, but we want their Ministry of Defence to be sending us reports on the regime and where the country's at and um, particularly in places like Cameroon and Benin, where in the very north of the country, Boko Haram are still active. Um, we've also got challenges around piracy, obviously, in parts of the, the area around there. So to solve that, for example, the, the Coast Guard of nation, we insist that they collect us at 100 miles out. They bring us in from 100 miles. We have military escorts 100 miles back out. Um, while we're on board, we have a a uh, team of ex-Gurkhas, uh, seven ex-Gurkhas who work with us, who are, sail around the world with us, who are our security team. So they man the, the gates at the dockside, they man the, the ship, they control the ins and outs of everything. So yeah, there's a huge operation there. And the Marine staff are obviously a huge part of that security team as well in terms of uh, you know potential for stowaways and, and fire and all those different elements. And you know we're inspiring volunteers to come out and serve in Africa. We want them to be as safe as possible. Mm-hmm. And especially if they're bringing their children to live on board, safety is right at the front of our, our mind in the operation. And for the children, do you have homeschooling going on? I mean, there's boat schooling, it's called. Boating, boat schooling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we actually run a school on board the ship as well. Um, so there is a principal to that school. There are six teachers who volunteer their time for a year at a time as well. Um, it's an internationally accredited school. Um, so all the kids are in there. The, the class sizes, as you can imagine, by year group are quite small, um, with 45 kids ranging from nursery age to A-levels. Um, so, uh, but we're, they're, they're we've, we've got four daughters. This is becoming an attractive option for me here, <laughs> <laughs> and I well, get fed as well. <laughs> there was a particular there was a particular year uh, where if you'd if you'd been on board for those 12 months, the school went on um, four field trips in that 12 months based on where they were based. So if you started that year, you started in Madagascar. So your field trip was to visit the ringtail lemurs in the rainforest of Madagascar. And then we sailed for our refit in Durban. So the kids went on a safari trip uh, in South Africa. And then we sailed up to Benin uh, and they got to do the slave walk across Benin, which was the route that the majority of the slave trade um, route happened. And so you can experience the history of that. And then we finished that year up in Las Palmas. And so they went snorkeling in the coral reefs 
of Las Palmas. So in terms of a schooling year, I mean, I'm pretty sure I, if I got to Butlins, we were pretty impressed at school. It was probably more like a local pencil factory so that I went to. Just a fantastic I'll, education. I'll, I'll, email, you know? I'll email you their full names and uh, <laughs> whatever you need. Just talk, We'll talk later. Um, I might even enroll in that school myself. That's Going to be a deckhand, <laughs> huh? Why? I, I wanna, that's a fantastic job. I want to go back and do my A-levels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But what a fantastic education for them, as yeah. well as being part of this massive experience of seeing how people can be helped and and you hugely, know. And, and being surrounded by forty different cultures and nationalities and languages. The month of December on the ship, uh, because of all the cultures on board, they celebrate in the evenings every day. They celebrate Christmas in a different culture for the twenty-five days leading up to Christmas, Happy because of all the ways that. Um, the Christ, Christmas is celebrated and Christmas Day isn't the same day for all 40 nations so so the month of December is a really interesting month to be on board the ship because you get this richness of cultural exchange going on um, I, I may be wrong here so I'm just going to go out on a limb but the the is it the captain of of the boat has an interesting history with it from when he was a child was yeah so the current the current yeah you're right so the current captain Milo Captain Milo yes um, is Danish and so the Africa Mercy, before it was Africa Mercy, was the Droning Ingrid, uh, which was a roll-on, roll-off rail ferry um, that worked in Denmark. So Captain Milo, as a child, was the last visitor to visit the Droning Ingrid before it shut up. So they had a like a final come and see the ship type thing. He was the last visitor on the ship before it finished. And then he saw it as the Africa Mercy trained as a captain and came back and has now come back to serve as the captain of the Africa Mercy. Um, and so since he's arrived, we're even finding out things about the ship that we didn't even know. He's like, oh, did you know that? And we're going, what? We didn't know this. Yeah, it was on the tour when I was 12 years old. <laughs> so um, see, that's a fantastic story. I met yeah. him last time. So he's, a, he's, a, he's so excited to be on board. It's like a boyhood dream. I saw, uh, to get the captain of Droning Ingrid, which in Denmark, they're incredibly proud of that ship. It was very famous. Um, uh, going between the different islands and transporting real uh, uh, real carriages. The, the only bit I remember is uh, something to do with uh, a glass floor that he could yes. see down or something. Um, yeah, on the on the bridge. On the bridge, that was it. Yeah, the style and shape of the ship, uh, so that you can, if you're if you're essentially steering into port, you, there's a glass floor. It's a it's about um, uh, maybe a meter square, uh, and you can stand on it and look right down. Uh, I'd see the boat of the ship, but it's right over the water, um, and so you get to stand on that um, as part of the tour. And we bring guests on board, and it's um, yeah, it's, it's a good way to test your nerve and check whether or not you've got a bit of vertigo going on. <laughs> <laughs> How's your vertigo these days? Um, <laughs> and going forward, I mean, there's uh, you have just celebrated your hundredth, hundred thousandth. thousandth uh, yeah. Surgery, which is There's probably a bit more, since just then. a fantastic achievement. I mean, fantastic achievement for any hospital, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, uh, with yeah, we're we're incredibly excited, and as I say, there's there's this joint excitement of uh, what what number we're going to hit next in terms of the people we've trained, and if we could possibly track how many people they've gone on to commit surgery. That I think that would 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 really blow our blow our mind a little bit. But we have great plans to try and continue to expand the fleet. Uh, to look at how we can grow what we're doing. We've got more nations there before asking us to come and serve. Um, we've just, uh, this last year, signed a partnership with the World Health Organization to become a formal partner in their delivery plans. Um, and so we're really at a point now where we're trying to um, take some of the research we've done, take some of the data we've got, and invest that in other, other charities um, to help grow that, and particularly with WHO. So yeah, what we want to see now, 40 years Looking back, it's fantastic, but 40 years looking forward, how do we continue to change the healthcare narrative in, in Africa by partnering with more nations and partnering with more doctors to really see that difference take, take hold and have more stories like Dr. Karumba and Bessie to be able to talk about. Died. Well, Just a teeny bit of interference at the end there. Um, but. There we go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm, I certainly have looked up about Mercy Ships and funny when Milo's story came up, we talked about it, but it is very different having the first hand um, <laughs> story of all that you do. It's astounding. Um, it really is an astounding achievement. Uh, yeah. 
I, I presume that, you know, if you had two of these ships, uh, you could still achieve even enough. more. I mean, it still wouldn't be enough, yeah. but you, in terms of not just what you achieve on a, a patient level and transforming that many people's lives, but as you say, the knock-on effect of education, of, and even for the people on board, you know, yeah. those kids who have gone through and had this experience what they will go on to achieve because of yeah. this experience of growing up for a time on, on well, this ship. What about this, a place like South America? Do you do you do much over that way or is there much need? So yeah, we did in our early days, especially we had three ships all at once. Um, one of the ships was called the Caribbean Mercy, so you can imagine where it sailed. Um, we had one called the Island Mercy, so you can imagine where it was sailing. Um, and, and we had the Anastasis, which kind of went all over the world. Um, so we did do lots of work in different places, but, but what we found was that the more we spread ourselves around, the, the less specialists we will become, the less impact we were actually having because of the, the scale of those ships. The, the, the two, the island and the Caribbean, were very small ships by comparison. In fact, all three of them fit inside the Africa Mercy. Um, and so by going to one ship, we also committed to saying we're going to specialize more, we're going to specialize in Africa, in the continent of Africa. And so we've visited over 20 nations in the continent of Africa alone, and we know those presidents and their successors year after year we know the ministry of health structures and we understand them so when we go somewhere like guinea and come back five years later things have moved on in five years but we can tangibly see that difference and know that we have to keep pace with that with that change and so while we look to expand the fleet in the future and um, we'll probably look to stay focused on the continent of africa for a significant length of time yeah, that i mean because i'm sure just even building up those relationships and having that foundation to work on exactly. takes I mean, we're, a tremendous amount of time. We're asking an awful lot of the country in terms of giving us a berth for 10 months and not receiving income against that berth, which would be a commercial port spot for them. And we take, we've got a big footprint on the dockside because we set up um, cordoned off zones and screening tents and facilities on the dockside. Um, so we're asking a lot of them in that sense. We're also asking for access to data and to their ministry of health staff and to buildings and so yeah to build up the trust for them to give us all that access in return for what we're able to provide takes takes time you're also giving a lot we, we are we are but as, as you sort of described some of those some of those companies still have a very insular feel yeah. uh, some of them don't want help in the outside world sometimes some of them um oh uh, apologies i have a Feeling we have a pause in our interview we here with Lee. Do for we some have a reason? Pause. Um, we shall go to a little bit of uh, music and then we'll come back. for the interruption uh, we are back now with Lee Milligan um, from Mercy Ships and and we just got interrupted with that little blip there Lee would you mind continuing what you were just saying there before our break 
Yeah, so I think we were talking about the building of relationships with, with the nations that we serve. Um, and I was still saying, yeah, there's a number of those nations that still their regimes have an insular feel to them. Um, there's obviously a big debate in the UK about, um, you know, should we be providing aid to countries? Should we be um, coming in to help with charity? And that's what we, we're really passionate about, making sure we're in partnership with those countries and we're there by invitation only. Um, and so building that, that confidence in that, and that is really important. And, you know, these, these nations have a lot of challenges and they don't want to announce all those challenges to the whole world all the time. And so, yeah, is really important. Uh, one other question. I mean, it's, it's a very uh, international group, but the, which flag do you fly on, on the, um, the African Mercy ship? Yeah, so it's, um, it's Maltese flagged. Oh. Um, so, um, yeah, so that gives us... That gives us um, the ability, obviously, to be quite adaptable and, and get in and out of different African nations quite comfortably, but also, I mean, the not to be too political. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. We've got a, a headquarters, uh, our global headquarters in Switzerland. Uh, we've got uh, an operations center in East Texas, and we've got 15 other offices around the world that help to to manage the whole project and run like that. So, yeah, try to have as uh, broad a multinational field as we possibly can. Uh, wow. And, and is that can I just say, I, I, we focused on the ship. I forgot about all the admin and everything that must go on behind it. So 15 offices yeah. around the world is, you know, a lot of people helping putting together. What, what is it, three admin to every doctor kind of average globally? Um, not the, um, the, the total number of land-based um, uh, individuals is outnumbered about three to one uh, for the volunteers um, that serve on board the ship. So, um, so we're really focused on making sure that the money we raise goes to running the ship and the operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so globally, only 9% of all the money we raise um, goes on administration. Um, and so that's a wow. fairly competitive benchmark for charities. You, you could teach a lot of countries how to run their medical service. Um, including our own <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on that one <laughs> don't have to look too far on that but do you, do you run into problems uh, with with um, with politics you know for example you know, I, 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 I don't imagine you do but do you, do you find that politics gets a pro- becomes an issue for you <clears throat> um, the direct challenge we might face and we haven't faced this in a while which is great um, is when we're in a country and a regime changes um, very suddenly. Um, and so that, that's the biggest, one of the biggest threats um, that we can see. So we work very hard to monitor what election cycles countries are on, when is the best time for us to turn up. Um, if, you, if the country's about to have an election uh, towards the back end of one where we would be arriving, then perhaps we wait two years and we'll go and visit then so that we've got as stable a platform as possible. Um, we, we're, we're very sensitive to make sure that we don't uh, become a political vehicle accidentally um, in what we do because we want to retain our independence um, so that every nation to partner with can, can feel that. Uh, do, do you do much then in, in terms of, say, evacuation planning so that you know, if, if we're in this country and, and something terrible changes, um, how we pull anchor and get out as quickly as possible, bearing in mind the, the human side that you've, you've got to deal with? Yeah, completely. I mean, there's there's essentially two departments on board the ship that, that are involved in that. Obviously, the, the captain's team and the marine team, essentially, that run all of that side of the ship, and the operations director on board. Um, neither of those two functions have anything to do with the hospital quality of care of patients. They are purely there for everything from fire drills, which we run um, weekly on the ship at random times and evacuate the entire ship uh, to make sure we've got that covered, to piracy drills to um, emergency evac. And so uh, it takes us, if we do it properly, it takes about two weeks from we arrive in the country to set everything up um, and, and about a week to pack everything down. But we know that we've got an emergency drill where if we need to, um, if we've got enough time, we can do a 24 hour pack down and take what we need. Uh, and if we haven't got time for that, we know we can get out of a place in, in under an hour. So yeah, it's, it's all, um, all very choreographed and mapped out. And then we do run simulations on all of those types of things. We've not had to use those simulations um, in an awful long time, um, and not with the African Mercy ever in the last 20 years. Um, but yeah, we're very alert to and very keen to make sure that we're, we're, we're prepared, well prepared. Well, I've got to say, I'm really dumbfounded that um, I had no idea, I had I just had no idea of the 
the colossal work you do and, and the task in actually making it happen. And that is such a huge international effort to bring um, a floating hospital around the place. It's, uh, that's inspiring. And what you've achieved. Yeah, it really is inspiring. Truly inspiring. Well done, yeah, Mother Teresa. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that, and that's where the inspiration started. I yeah. mean, it's a huge privilege for the organization, and I'm not a mariner, and I'm not a medic. Um, my job is to keep the business side of it all running, but I'm surrounded by individuals who are experts in their field. Um, and what, what's incredible in the culture of the organization is you bring all these experts in their field together, uh, and there's a genuine respect between all their expertises to say, that is your area, you lead us in that. And so even our hierarchy and the way we've structured the organization is is not about who's got what title over who and who else. It's who are the specialists and how do we listen to them and make sure that we run each bit of the organization to the highest level of quality, whether it be patient standards and care, whether it be political management, whether it be the business itself in terms of the operating costs remaining low, uh, or whether it be the, the health and safety and marine aspect of what we do. So, yeah, it's a really exciting organization to be part of. I, I think also what, as an organization, with all the people who have come to give their time, there is, you know, philanthropy on every level. You know, your, your time is as valuable if you're skilled as as money, as you said, um, that you it, it has to have a ring as a very unique team to work with um, because you, you have this common goal, but everybody's giving some part of themselves to achieve that goal. Exactly, exactly. And the, the, the really interesting bit to manage as well is we talked early on about that sort of turnover of volunteers coming on and off the ship every three months. You're, you're trying to run an operation where you've got a number of individuals who'll come in and out of that process. And so, so what astounds me, and, and we practice what we preach, we teach um, in the hospitals in West Africa, a thing called the Safe Surgery Checklist, um, which is a World Health Organization recommended standard, which is sounds really basic in one sense, but it's literally a checklist that you must walk through. We do it in this country as well. And you must walk through before you do surgery. And it starts with the most fundamental things, right? Does everyone in this room know everyone's name? Does everyone in this room know everyone's specialism? Right? Is this the right patient? Right? What is it we're doing to this patient? And then gets more and more, gets more and more technical as you go ahead. But by implementing that in Africa, we're able to reduce uh, surgical complications that lead to death by over 80% by just by implementing this. Wow. And so we run that on the ship. And so you might land on a Sunday evening uh, from, from East Texas, uh, where you live and work and you volunteer to come serve. On a Monday morning, uh, you step into your uh, surgical gown and you've got an Australian nurse who's leading the operation. You've got a, a British anaesthetist standing beside you. You're an American surgeon. You've got a, a German biotech uh, cleaning all of the kit around you. And we start from there. Right. Who are you? What's your name? What's your specialism? Have you been in the African Mercy before? Great. Okay. This is the patient today. Does everyone understand what we're doing? Okay. Let's go through all that. Right. Ready, team? Let's go. And, and so there's a lot of work done by the operations team to really drill that into everybody and so when you walk around the wards you'll see photographs of who the team are that week so that everyone can learn and understand and know who specialists are in the field so it's a huge collaborative effort which um which is great and when you walk into that atmosphere as a newbie uh, you genuinely walk into a place that you instantly feel at home if you're facing the ship and someone hasn't met you it's the kind of place where someone is coming to say hello to you the second you get on board um and so yeah it's a you got a lot of people coming back year after year um, just just to be part of that experience and, and to, to serve in that, in that wonderful environment. You, you say something that actually made me giggle when you said it. Uh, is this the right patient? But it reminds me of a story. Well, it reminds me of a story we, we touched on uh, several weeks ago. And a patient went in for something like a tonsillitis and they mixed up the patient and they removed his kidney. Um, so some very basic questions. Uh, or even writing left and right on people's limbs yes. it sounds really obvious but you know with a very big turnover the specifics are well, incredibly important but in Spain they were writing yes on the limb to be amputated and no on all the other limbs because uh, they were exactly taken off even the counting the surgical implements we had 10 surgical implements that trail when we started before we sew this person up how many have we still got yeah we've got all yeah. 10 great there's nothing left to write. and so imagine you're in West Africa Imagine you're in a culture where, and this is one challenge we've tried to combat loads, is, is teaching really good teamwork and understanding to nurses as part of the wider team. In a hierarchical, male-dominated culture like Africa, 
where nurses are not seen as experts, where nurses are generally female, nurses are not allowed to tell the doctor they're making a mistake. And so imagine you're the surgeon who's done the surgery, you've, you've happened to leave a clump in because you needed a clump in there and you've cracked on the stitch top. Nurses will not tell the doctor that that's going on because they are trained not to. And so even just going in and training the safe surgery checklist, one of the fundamental things of it is we are a team, we are all equals. Anyone at any point in this next procedure can say, stop, let's start again and work out what we're doing. Or stop, I think there's a problem, we need to discuss it. And so you can imagine that alone can just save lives across West Africa. And it's such a simple to. Yeah, well, indeed. On that merry note, we're coming to the top of the hour. And um, this has truly been an education, Lee. Thank you very, very much. Um, uh, I'm... I'm Inspired. I am. I'm inspired. I just think, and, and, you, also and he's that, not often gobsmacked. Yeah, and, and also now that we have another educational opportunity for our children uh, on their international school, and the classroom sizes are nice. And you're going to be the IT guy, are you? I'll be the yeah, the Mercy Ship Radio. There you go. <laughs> Coming. Well, I'm sure there was a radio that story existed in there. Um, no, look, I really appreciate the time, guys. I love, I love the enthusiasm and all the questions. It's great to be able to share in that much detail, like the kind of stuff we do. And look, if anyone wants to find out more, they can go to our website, mercyships.org.uk, and you can, all over the world, you can link up in your own language and find out what's going on, see how you can get involved, how you could donate, how you could serve on board, or, or just find out a bit more. We'd love to, to chat to as many of your listeners as we can. And, and just a reminder that a lot of your funding comes from people just giving you 20 pounds a month 18 bucks not even 20 18, just 18. you know that um that people to give are just ordinary people like you and i who are just giving a little bit to say i'm inspired and, and I, that can go a long way and as i said simple surgeries like a cataract surgery uh can be done in 15 minutes and a child that was blind can see in 15 minutes and that surgery costs less than a hundred dollars and so that 18, that 18 point a month can make a massive difference in changing the lives of individuals. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Great. Lee, Lee, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Yeah. Um, it was truly a pleasure talking with you today. And may I just say congratulations to all of you um, for the <laughs> team effort and the incredible difference you have made now to 100,000 lives. It's always nice to talk to somebody from home as well. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Leaf. You are listening to Super Yacht Radio.